awesome. Take your Bible. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, your own kid. I'm by that, you know. And so it's a blessing. Thank you, Kennedy, for singing that song. Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. Look at this. Look at this. Maybe you've already heard that phrase this year. Maybe it's a sale ad or a TV commercial advertising something. Uh, Maybe something that you burned in the oven on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Look at this. Maybe it's something that your kids have said already as they have. uh, You remember the catalogs? You remember when we were kids? Um, I say kids. uh, Some of us are like, yeah. But remember uh, the old catalogs that would come in the mail like JCPenney or that fancy French place, J.C. Penier, that we used to talk about, uh, Sears and Roebuck. Remember the catalogs that would come to our house were like this big and had everything in the world that you could imagine in that catalog. And I remember going through those as a kid and circling, you know, folding down pages and turning and uh, all that stuff. Uh, but look at this. Look at this. The word that's used in our text today Uh, That is our modern day look at this is the word behold. Behold. And as we go into the Christmas season, our series is entitled Behold Him. Behold Him. Now we think about the word, the Greek word behold is the Greek word idu. When it means to see. Our English definition of that word is to observe. To observe, to look at something, to give our credence to something. But how often do we read through Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and it's just old. It's just, you know, it's, oh yeah, pastor, we've heard that. We know the story. Uh, We've heard it again and again and again. But I want to challenge all of us this year, this season, to behold the story like it's the very first time. Imagine that you didn't know anything about Jesus. All you knew about Christmas was Charlie Brown and the one ornament hanging on that pitiful little tree. And I want us to behold him and ask ourselves, have we seen him? Have we seen him? Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin our story. Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Let's read just a few verses for context this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or it came about this way. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Behold, let's look and observe at the story like it's the very first time. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the great word pictures that you give to us. And Lord, thank you for the fact this is not just uh, some uh, made-up fictional story. This is a true account of how you became robed in flesh for mankind. And Lord, we don't just 
talk about this story because it's catchy or it's seasonal. Lord, we love this story because it's true. Lord, this is your story, how a perfect God would become flesh and would live a perfect and sinless life for the purpose of being pierced by sin. Lord, our sin nailed you to the cross. Lord, and even though we may not have been there in person, Lord, we were all there that day that you died for us because our sin was there that day. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to behold you and what you did on our behalf. Please bless our time this morning. Please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of any sin unconfessed. Help me to be clean. And Lord, please bless our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the challenge that's mentioned, the challenge. Matthew 1 makes it clear that Jesus' birth was not one of natural design. This is a supernatural event. If you go back to verse number 16 of this same chapter, the Bible says, And Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Nowhere in the scripture do you see reference that Jesus was born of Joseph. That Joseph was Jesus' father. Rather, you see the opposite. That Jesus was born of a woman without any of the natural selection here. A natural progression of of being a father. Not anything, not any designation that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Jesus. And this is a doctrine that we know today as the virgin birth. The virgin birth. Say, Pastor, how important is the virgin birth to our faith? If Jesus were conceived like any other baby, what is it about Jesus that makes him stand out? What is it about Jesus that makes him God in the flesh? If he were conceived like any other way, any other person who has ever lived, then what makes him God? See, if Jesus was born and conceived just like everyone else, without Jesus being born this way, he could not die for our sins because he would not be God in the flesh. That also makes the Bible a liar because it says that he was born this way. And we would still be in our sin today. That's how important the virgin birth is to us today. It is vital to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin because if not, he could not have been the payment for our sin. It's not just something that we say is cute or it's pretty cool to be able to claim that. It is a true fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. J.I. Packer said, The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. You can't make a story like this up. This is a God event. And the challenge that we see is, number one, they were engaged. In verse number 18, it says, As his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Mary had been promised to Joseph as his wife, but the marriage had not taken place yet. The Jewish custom was in three parts, three stages. There was the engagement. That could start as early as a child. 
They could be chosen to be married to somebody. Uh, ever, anybody ever heard of arranged marriages? Can you imagine your mom or dad choosing from an early age who you're going to marry? Yikes. Yikes. You know, mom and dad, as you're three or four or five years old, hey, don't mess with them. They're going to be married to you one day. Uh, you know, all that stuff. But it was in three stages. The engagement, and then there was the betrothal, and that was when a child came of age. They were ready to be married. The betrothal would take place. And then there was the marriage, the consummation or full marital rights that were bestowed. The engagement process, that early first stage, could be broken even if a woman was unwilling to marry a man. She said, no, his nose is too big. No, I don't like, he doesn't have any money. He's not good. I don't want to marry him. She could break the engagement. That was the point, that engagement time. But once the betrothal took place, once that betrothal period began, it was legally binding. Had to be broken literally by divorce. Had to be papers drawn up and divorced. So imagine all of this happened. And Mary and Joseph are in the second stage, which means they most likely had known each other for a long time. Their families were close based on custom. They knew for years that they were going to get married. And now they've entered into phase number two. Mary is most likely still living at home. Her parents knew Joseph, knew that he was a godly man, had probably arranged all of this. And they were looking forward to this marriage. And Christmas is a happy time. You think about this story. This began as a happy experience. They're engaged. They're espoused. They're betrothed together. All of this is great. But you know, for a lot of people, Christmas is not a happy time. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that someone is not present. It's a reminder that some major life event has happened. Maybe even knowing that this could possibly be the last Christmas that you have with someone. See, Christmas is not necessarily a celebration for everyone. But just like here in our story, it, was, it began with a celebration, but it didn't stay happy very long. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't it interesting that the one who was born in Matthew 1 was the one who provides comfort for our hearts today? He is our comfort. And even though your life may be filled with hurt right now, remember that the season we celebrate today began with hurt. The season that we celebrate today started with hurt. So you say, Pastor, my season right now is filled with hurt, but there's still hope. There's still hope. We see not only that she was, they were engaged, number two, we see in verse 18 that she was expecting. She was expecting. It says before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Think about Joseph's reaction when Mary shared this story. Would you believe Mary's story? What would you think if you were Joseph? This was impossible. Nothing like this. They had no, uh, no story that they could refer back to and say, well, that happened once before. This had never happened. Never has happened since this happened. But if she was still living at home, we don't even know how her parents responded. Imagine being the mom and dad of Mary and she shares with you 
this story that we see in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. It says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This was a God story. It even says in verse number 18, validates the story in Luke 1. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. We know that Joseph doesn't believe her. Because in the very next verse, he's thinking about divorcing her. So he know, we know that he's not buying this big story that she's concocted to try and get her, uh, get him to convince uh, her to convince him that they should still get married. But what do you do when you're faced with an unbelievable situation? When something happens and you're told a story that seems way out there, how do you respond? Do you respond the way Joseph did with immediate unbelief? Do you have a response of, well, wait and see? What do you do? How did the disciples respond in Mark chapter number 4 to an impossible situation? Remember the storm? There arose a great storm of wind. and The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Everything is bad. Bad, bad, bad. They're in the middle of a storm. Jesus says, we're going over here to minister. The, the ship is now full of water. They're sinking. They're going down. They're going to die in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And on top of all that, Jesus doesn't even care. You ever felt like that? My boat is filling up with water. I am drowning. And on top of all that, God doesn't even care. Now, I know that I'm not the only one who's ever felt that. God doesn't care. And the disciples verbalize their feeling when they run back to the back of the boat where Jesus is sleeping and they accuse him of not caring. You don't even care that we're all getting ready to die. This is a bad situation and Jesus is asleep. Does he even care? But here's the question. Has he already shown you enough in your life to answer the question before you have to ask it? Has he already shown you and proved to you that he cares? Does Jesus care? The song, oh yes, I know he cares. Hey, do you know this morning? Because in this situation with Joseph, he could ask the question, man, I've been preparing for this for a long time, and God, what gives? This girl that I thought was holy, was righteous, highly favored, is what the angel calls her. Now she's giving me this story, this Bogus story. They were engaged. She was expecting. And then number three, he was exemplary. Look at verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, going back to the betrothal, they were already called husband and wife. They just not consummated the marriage. Joseph didn't believe her, but he loved Mary enough not to embarrass her. Look at verse 19. Being a just man, not willing to make her a public example legally he could have had her stoned legally once they entered into betrothal if she was found with child she could be executed 
All he would have had to done is go into the gate of the city and talk to the elders and said, this is the situation, this is what she's told. It would be confirmed and validated, and then she would be executed. It would be very public. And Joseph said, I'm not willing to do that. Why? Because he loved Mary. Had a desire to marry her. When people would see an unmarried pregnant woman, there was only one assumption. There was only one. But her action would not affect his action. What she did would not affect what he would do. And how often do we allow the actions and attitudes of others to determine what we do next? How many times do we let what someone says or does to us, whether intentional or unintentional, and we allow someone else to shape our response? Someone says something bad about them, about me, so I'm going to think of something bad to say about them. Someone does something bad to me, so therefore I now have an excuse to do something bad to them. It's not an excuse, but it's how we think, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 through 23 says, For even hereunto were ye called. This is our calling as believers, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. I've heard that message preached. I've seen that verse taken out of context and said, well, Man, we should just follow Jesus because it tells us to follow his steps. I don't like that verse because the steps that I'm supposed to follow means that I'm supposed to suffer. I don't like that. But let's look at the next verse. Who did no sin. Talking about Jesus. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He didn't spit out rebukes at people. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Hey, you just wait. I'm going to get you. That's not what he said. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He said, you know what? I'm going to let my father sort all that out. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And hey, church, that's what we're called to do. And that involves suffering. Times where we are hurt, where we're mistreated, where we're misunderstood. And sometimes, sadly enough, we have to just take it. Hey, you know what? I'm going to let God's... What? Pastor, what they said about you, was that true? No. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to let God sort it out. I'm going to let God be the avenger. I'm going to let God take care of that because if I try to take care of it, I'll make a mess of it. And it'll be worse. How did Joseph respond? How could Joseph take it and not want to make it a public example? Because of the description of Joseph in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now that doesn't mean that he was just a man. He was a just man. It's the same description we see given of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. It says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. And then what was the compounding description? And perfect spiritually mature in his generations. And Noah walked with God. What a testimony. Hey, I get up every day to walk with God. That was Noah's intent. That was Noah's testimony. That's what was said about him. He walked with God. 
Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after or because of that walk. It's connected. He walked with God, and his walk with the Lord governed his decisions. Now think about this. Could it be that our bad decisions reveal an accurate picture of our lack of a walk with God? The things that I say, the things that I do to retaliate, is that a reflection of the fact that I'm not walking with God like I should? Sure seems like it. Joseph said, I'm not going to react like I could, but I'm going to do what is right. He maintained his integrity. The challenge, it was tough. But then number two, we see the conception. Look at verse 20. This story almost ends before it begins. I'm going to put her away. I'm going to divorce her. It's going to be final. But while he's thinking about this, God responds. Now, aren't you glad that God knows what we're thinking while we're thinking it? And he's already working behind the scenes in my situation before I can respond? Aren't you glad that God does that? We see the Lord's plan is revealed in verse 20. But while he thought on these things... While Joseph is considering what to do next, behold, there it is. Behold. Hey, look at this. Perceive to observe. Observe this right here. We would say, y'all come and look. Y'all come. Y'all come. Now, y'all come. Sorry. Uh, But look right here. That's what it's saying. Look at this. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, there it is. Again, look and see. A virgin shall be with child. Bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The Lord's plan. The angel appears to Joseph, validates her story. This is the work of God. This is what God is doing. It's exactly what God had chosen. And we need to be reminded on a regular basis that our plans don't always line up with God's plans. But when that happens, whose plan should be first? Not mine. Hey, if God lays it out and says, this is my plan, we should go with his plan. Because Shouldn't the creator know how to get the most from his creation? If he's the creator and I'm the creation, he should get the most out of me. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, uh, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Joseph, no doubt, had heard about the prophecy of the Messiah. But this is not the plan that he would have gone with. This is not how he would have had it to all come about. Now, how often do we hear about how the Lord wants to work in our lives and we dismiss that? You know, God can't use me because of fill in the blank. Whatever it is, God can't use me because of this. And we excuse God being able to use us because of something that we have done. Hey, just a reminder, he's God and we're not. He can take worthless junk and make it treasures. 
So if you think your life is worthless today, you are a perfect candidate for God to use you. Because you're already in the frame of mind of someone that he can use. You know, Mary's pregnancy was a miracle, but it also fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read a reference to it. A virgin shall conceive, bear a son, call his name Emmanuel. The angel validated it's going to be a miraculous birth. It revealed the gender, which is exactly what prophecy said, and his name, Emmanuel. All of that was validated. I love what, what someone said, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. He stayed God and he became flesh. He became, who knew no sin, became sin for us. The only way God could accomplish his plan was to do something unusual. You know, if we know that, then why are we critical when we don't understand what God's doing in our lives? I can't figure this out. We're not supposed to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Pastor, I'm not that smart. You're in good company right here. God hath chosen the weak things of the world. Pastor, I'm not strong. You're in good company right here. Weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. It was the Lord's plan. But then number two, we see our provision. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sin. God does something for all of us. Not just Mary and Joseph. Not just the Jewish people. See, we were born with a problem that we can't do anything about in ourselves. For thousands of years, people would come to a place of worship and they would offer burnt sacrifices year after year after year for prolonging to put off. It was a temporary covering of our sins. It postponed the judgment of God for one year. Year after year had to be repeated over and over again. Why? Because the blood of animals was not enough to remove sin. Just to provide a temporary covering. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. See, Jesus didn't have sins of his own. But his purpose for coming would be to pay for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. Who bear who his, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. It's all about what he did when he came. See, you think about our life today. You know, our life is really illustrated by this. I want to show you and try and make it where everybody can see this is my life here, all right? Just a simple vial, a simple vessel, we're called. When we think about my life today, when I came into the world, I was tainted by sin. You think about my life. I came into the world like this. This is me. This is a picture of my life. 
And no matter how good I am, no matter how much more water I add to this container, it does not change the fact that I have a problem. Water will not fix this container. It won't make it any better. See, I have to have something inside of me to change me. See, I can change the outside. Man, I can paint this nice uh, mason jar up. I can dress it up. I can put uh, little Christmas ornaments on it. But the fact remains that what's on the inside of this container will not get any better. Pay attention. Don't miss this. This will not change. I can dress the outside up, but the inside will still be the same. So when you think about what's going on, my life, sin. My life before Jesus, I have sin inside me. Okay, But then on March 1st, 2000, Jesus came in. And Jesus makes all things new. See, he's not, I'm not the thing that's special. Jesus is the thing that's special. So when Jesus comes into my life, he changes everything. He changes it radically. And over time, I don't look like me anymore. I look like him. Now remember, I can still dress up the outside. But the fact of the matter is, I don't need the outside changed. I need the inside changed. And Jesus does that from the inside out. Now you can see on the outside that something has changed on the inside. And now all of a sudden, things look differently than they did before. Things smell differently than they did before. And now there has been a change. But here's the cool thing. Jesus didn't just come for my sin. He came to pay for sin. He came to be the replacement. He came to eliminate sin. He came to be the payment for not just my sin, but the sin of the whole world. And over time, as people see him, wish I had a spoon. I could erase that part right there. But hey, Jesus didn't just come for me. He came for everybody. Hey, fooey on this crowd that says it's not for everybody. Hey, he died for all. But when we look at this today, hey, his blood was enough. His blood was enough. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. Hey, anybody else, you're just dressing up the vial. You're just dressing up the outside. Jesus is the one who makes the difference on the Inside. Inside. It's His work. And the question is this morning, have you been clean from the inside out? You could dress up a pig as much as you want to. But that pig is going to find a mud hole at some point. Because it's a pig. Jesus does the work on the inside that is then reflected on the outside. Has Jesus changed you? Has He changed your life today from the outside or from the inside out. The challenge was there. She was with child. The conception, now Joseph knows this is a work of God, but then there is still a choice that must be dealt with. Number three, the choice. Look at verse number 24. Now Joseph knows what God is doing. 
He knows exactly what is at, at stake here. And now he has to choose what will happen next. What would he do? Verse 24, we see that Joseph saw the big picture. Joseph saw the big picture. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Wow. All of a sudden, Joseph says, hey, I don't understand all the details. I don't know what's going to happen. But I see the big picture. I see that this is a work of God. I know it's what he's trying to do. So now I am going to fully trust that God is doing something. And I'm going to take him at his word. See, so many times we're guilty of having tunnel vision and just seeing my life and how God's plan is going to affect me. And if Joseph would have done that, he would have walked away from Mary as quick as he could. What is her story going to do to me? How is her testimony going to impact my life? And uh, what are, what's going to happen? And what's my standing going to be in the community after all this happens? But Joseph knew if God is working in this situation, he's going to continue to work in the things that I don't know. And church... That's what we need to hear. We need to be reminded. I don't have to know what's coming tomorrow as long as I can trust the one who does. And if I trust the one who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and that he has a plan for what's going to happen tomorrow, then why am I worried? Why am I afraid? Because I'm trusting the one who knows. They were always going to call Jesus illegitimate. Even all the way into his adult life. John chapter number 8 verse 41. Ye do the deeds of your father. Jesus told the religious leaders. And then they snapped back. We be not born of fornication. They remembered 30 years later. They remembered his story. Max Licato said. God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. You see, what's, but what's the alternative to living for him? I can make this life all about me. I can make this ministry all about how many people we have today. and uh, What do we do? and uh, How many people were in Sunday school? And how many people came to hear me? and uh, How many people sang? I can make things about me, but with no advantage for anything. Yep. See, I make this world about me satisfying my flesh, my desires, my plan. And when I do that, I turn my attention inward and all the focus is not on him, it's all on me. Craig Rochelle said, when our churches look inward instead of outward, we're basically saying to non-believers, you can just go to hell. Church, is that good enough? Never. Hey, we're not called to just get saved and have the truth and hoard it. We're called to get the truth and share it. And what greater time of the year to share it than this time? God sent us a Savior. We see that Joseph saw the big picture. But then number two, Joseph met Mary's need. He took her Unto him to be his wife. Up to this point, Mary was all alone. We don't know the backstory of her home, her family dynamic. Joseph didn't have to commit to her at this point. 
But his decision guaranteed that she would never be alone. When people accused her, ridiculed her, refused her, rejected her, she would have someone with her. Maybe somebody in your life needs you to stand up and be their defender. Maybe you need to be defended. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone who stands by you and defends you? Proverbs chapter 31 verse 9, Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Psalm 82 verse 3, Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Who do you know that needs you? I love the story of David and Jonathan in the Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 28 or 23 and verse number 16, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went into David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. You know what Jonathan recognized? David needs a friend. And I am that friend. Hey, as you look around this morning and you see people who are beaten down and discouraged and distressed by this past week, and we hadn't even gotten to Christmas yet. We hadn't even bought presents yet. We hadn't even had to fight for a parking spot yet. When you look around and you see people, who can you be a friend to? Who can you be that encouragement for? Who can you lift up and defend their cause? He saw the big picture. He met her need. And then lastly this morning, Joseph humbled himself. It all starts with humility, church. I can think of myself that I am the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I will not help anybody. Because as long as I exalt myself, I can't help somebody. I have to humble myself. Joseph revealed his character, verse 25, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph revealed his character. Hey, he had all rights, marital privileges at this point, And he said, you know what? God's plan is bigger than my plan. So I am going to humble myself. And I am going to put my fleshly desires to the side. Even though I could, I won't. Because I know that God's plan is bigger than my plan. Where are the Christians today that say God's plan is bigger than my plan. Therefore, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve and I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to put my needs on the back burner and I'm going to put God's needs first. That's what our church should be all about. You know, think about the fact that he humbled himself. Joseph humbled himself Reminds me of somebody else in Scripture. Does it you? Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, imagine the Son of God seeing humility from the man of God that was placed in his life. You think Jesus learned? And we, we understand he's God. He knows everything. But do you think he saw some lessons on display in the life of Joseph of humility? Humbling himself and knowing, think about it, as God, knowing what God knows, knowing the sacrifice that Joseph made personally 
to ensure that God's plan came first. What a thought. But it wouldn't happen without Joseph being humble. Where are you this morning? When it comes to humility, what would it be like if God said, you know what, I can use them because they're humble. Could God use you right now because of your humility? Or would you have to say, you know, I need to work on that. I need, I need to be knocked down just a little bit in the humility line to be able to be used. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself. We have value in the sight of God, but it's thinking of myself less. You know how we do that? We behold Him. We behold Him in spite of our failures, our imperfections. And the fact that we see Him high and lifted up, who He is compared to us, and we see that we are nothing and He is everything. But that requires us to behold Him. Have you seen Him? Have you observed Him in comparison to yourself? What about His plan in your life? Have you humbled yourself to where you could be used by Him? Are you willing to behold Him like it's the very first time that you've seen Him? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Maybe you're here this morning and in your heart, in your life, maybe it's that analogy that we talked about a minute ago. The fact that your life may not be clean. Your life may not be perfect like His life. You may not have Him living and breathing inside you. And Maybe that's your story today. Hey, I don't want to embarrass you, point you out, come talk to you, or send somebody to come talk to you. But I would like to pray for you. Whether you're watching online or in the room, I would like to pray with you. That you'll get that settled. That you'll have that moment in your life that you can point to and say, you know what, that's the moment when I got it settled, when I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. That was the moment in time that I talked to the Lord about my need. Maybe that's what you need today. Hey, can I be your friend this morning? Our personal workers are in place. We're going to sing in just a moment, but I'd like to pray for you right now. Maybe you're here and say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have ever encountered Jesus on a personal level. I don't know that my sins have ever been forgiven. I, I'm just not convinced. Hey, that's all right if that's your admission. But it requires you to admit that you have a need. Would you simply, while no one's looking around, simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Somebody else, thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe you haven't raised your hand yet, but you'll raise it right now and say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know. I don't have that assurance, that confidence that you're talking about. I, I just don't know. Maybe that's you. I haven't raised my hand, but I'll raise it right now. Pastor, please pray for me. Be my friend. Pray for me this morning. I haven't raised it yet, but I'm going to raise it right now. Pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? You know, salvation is so simple. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to, you know, walk down the aisle. You can talk to the Lord right where you sit in your seat. Salvation is all about understanding that you are a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinned. And come short of God's glory. Short of the glory of God. We all have a need. And that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to meet that need. And we simply accept what he did as payment for our sin. By calling on him and asking him to apply what he did on the cross to our life. It's simply saying, dear Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I stay this way, then I'm doomed forever. 
But you thank Jesus, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross in my place, taking my place, paying for my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be my Savior. What you did on the cross, please apply it to my life. That's what salvation is. And maybe right now you would simply, in this moment of time, you would pray a prayer. It doesn't have to be the same words. It's not the words that save us. It's the faith. But simply pray a prayer and say, Lord, this is what I need. I need you. Is that you today? Hey, maybe you in this quiet of this moment, you would take a moment and you would pray a prayer like that. And you would ask him to be your savior. Man, I hope that you'll do that. I hope that you will see your need and you'll do something about that. He's already done all the work. It just requires our faith. Maybe you're here this morning and hey, your life is so busy with other things that you don't even have time to behold Him. You don't have time to look in the manger. It's so full of shopping and family and all these different things. None of them are necessarily bad, but they're not priority. When compared to a relationship with Him, an active walk with the Lord, they pale in comparison to Him. We've replaced the best with good and hey he wants to be first and deserves to be first but are we making him this Christmas season are we making the gift our priority are we consumed with other things maybe you would simply talk to the Lord about that this morning if you have any other needs you need to talk to someone pray with someone our personal workers are all around the room would love to pray with you encourage you whatever your need is the altar's open. If you want to come and kneel and pray, you can do that too. Or stay there in your seat and pray. Whatever God wants you to do this morning, would you simply talk to Him? Whatever your need is, whatever step you need to take, maybe you have a step you need to take this morning, whether it's baptism or rededicating your life or whatever it is, membership, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, would you take a step towards Him today? Father, please bless our time of invitation and reflection. Lord, this life that you have entrusted to us to live is not about us. should never be. Lord, help us to make our life all about you. That's why we come and we worship you. Because you are the almighty God. Lord, you are the one that we lift up and exalt today. Lord, please help us to see you for who you are in comparison to who we are. And see that we have needs and only you can meet them. Lord, please bless our time of invitation. Those that raise their hand for salvation, Lord, please help them to do business with you. Help them to be serious. For we are responsible for the knowledge that we've been given. Lord, help us to do something this morning with what we have heard and how your word has been presented. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing a chorus. I worship you, Almighty God. If you need to come and pray, you need to talk to someone either in the back or up front. I'll be right down front. If you need someone to pray with you, we're here for you. Do what God wants you to do. Pastor Tim.
singing. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We're getting ready to be dismissed. Right before we do, let me just remind you, we would love to pray with you if you have a need before you leave. Our personal workers are down front and they'll be down here. There'll be some in the back on the way out. They're wearing a badge that says, can I pray for you? And we mean that. We want to try and help you, encourage you, whatever your need is today. Uh, We'd like to help you in any way possible to do that. Um, And if you made a decision this morning, there are cards right in the seat back, right in front of you, uh, right there next to a hymn book or right next to another Bible. And if you made a decision, we would love for you to jot that down uh, this morning. If you can do that, we'll follow up with you and encourage you uh, for that decision. And we want to try and help you with that uh, if you can.